Welcome back to Octopulse, our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast. I'm assistant sports editor Mark Faulkner, joined by beat reporter Ted Colfin. Coming up, we'll hear from NHL network analyst Brian Lawton. But first, Ted, the NHL trade deadline has come and gone, and Steve Eiserman made his biggest trade since he took over the GM duties from Ken Holland a week shy of the two-year anniversary date of Eiserman becoming the 12th GM in the franchise's 95-year history. Anthony Mantha was traded to Washington for Jacob Verana, Richard Panic, a first-round pick, and a second-round pick. What did you make of the last-minute trade, Ted? I tell you, Mark, I hear <laughs> writing a story about how quiet it was going to be, or it was. Right. Oh, and behold, boom. I mean, obviously, I think we had talked about it in one of our previous podcasts that, you know, you heard whispers about Mantha maybe being dealt, and but you, you definitely felt that this was going to, if it was going to happen, it was going to happen closer to the draft or in the off season. Uh, for it to happen yesterday on Monday, right at the, mm-hmm. right in the final minutes, it was a shocker. I, I didn't think nobody saw it coming, and especially to Washington either, because Washington seemed to be pretty well set heading into the playoffs, and you wouldn't think they would want to upset the their apple cart too much. Very interesting trade. Um, I'll give Weiserman a little bit of an edge for sure. Like it seems like most people. Okay. The way I see it, Mark, it's this is a two-pronged trade. Okay. What they got was for for picking up Panic in the two years remaining on his contract. They received essentially that second-round pick in 2022. Okay. Then. For the Mantha and Verana portion of it, I mean, they're equal players. They're pretty much equal players. Mm-hmm. Both been healthy scratches this year. There's minor headaches associated with each of them. But the Reiserman also gets a first-round pick. And granted, with where Washington picks, it's going to be somewhere in that 25 to 32 range. But still, it is a first-round pick. And that gives, at least on the surface for me, it really gives – yeah, the minor edge to the wings for sure to get a first round pick and Verana for Mantha. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty good portion. And the panic for the second round pick. I mean, that's pretty much the mm-hmm. good, you know around the league. That's what you're gonna probably have to give up to have somebody take on a bad contract. And Panic's contract isn't awful by any stretch. A two, I think it was like two and a half, two point eight million dollars a year, two more years, but. Second round pick for that is fairly is fair. And Panic could be a useful player. He's probably a younger version of Darren Helm going forward or whatnot. But that first round pick, that's that's the bonus. That's the one that I think tilt, tilts the favor in in the wings direction, I would think. Ted, after the trade, Steve Eisenman met the media on a Zoom call on Monday, and here's what he had to say when you asked him if there were other trade offers out there. I mean, were you close with anything today or not really? No, no, not really. It was a relatively quiet, um, relatively like extremely quiet. I got a couple, you know, other than, other than, uh, you know, the, the, the Anthony Manta trade, we got a couple of late calls on things that uh, didn't really make sense for us to do without elaborating on. Is that a little frustrating? I mean, did you want to do more? No, you know, uh, I don't, frustrating isn't the right, you know, right word. Um, 
why you know would would we have done more we've got a lot of draft picks this year we've got a you know in the coming draft we've got a lot of draft picks for next year we do have some unrestricted free agents uh, still on our roster um you know would we have moved some of them if offers came along potentially yeah so but i don't know that i was frustrated just you know as again as we talk with uh, with the teams around the league you got a sense that uh, there this wouldn't be as active a trade deadline and uh you know, I don't know everything that's happened so far, but seems like it was a little bit quieter than, than previous years. So uh, in talking with leading up to the uh, leading up to the deadline, you know, teams that were in our position that I talked to, I got a sense from them that that it wasn't going to be as active or what uh, as active a market. And, you know, we might not be in a position to do a lot of the things that might've been done in the past. Steve Eisenman was right. Only 17 trades, the fewest number in 21 years. And he wouldn't elaborate, but it sounds like the offers for Luke Glenn Denning and Jonathan Bernier were way too low. He got a fourth for Patrick Nemeth, a fifth for John Merrill Ted, that makes about sense for those players, but hanging on to two of your best players, that made sense, didn't it, Glenn Denning and Bernier, if indeed that was the case? I think those are two guys that are very interested in extending. So mm-hmm. they always kind of were – I thought there might be an opportunity that Bernier might be sent somewhere else. Actually, I kind of thought Bill Washington might be a destination, but obviously it didn't work out that way. Glenn Denning, I really – I think it was going to take a substantial, substantial offer to mm-hmm. Glenn Denning off the Wings roster. I think it's somebody that they want to keep going forward. Um, I'm not surprised, though. I mean, considering what we heard leading into it, the week or two into it, they're just the, – everybody was so cr- strapped as far as the salary cap. The quarantine issues were out there. Uh so little revenue coming in for a lot of these teams. So they didn't really want to add salary. It was just, it just, and it was all correct. I mean, and it was a lot, there just wasn't going to, there wasn't much expectations of it being a very big market out there. And now it came to fruition. It was just pretty quiet, not a ton of movement. And we'll see how it all. I think there were several teams that still helped themselves out, but, Pretty quiet, very quiet. You know, our columnist, John Neal, had a question for Eisenman too yesterday. He asked him about the Anthony Mantha trade and if there were other offers on the table. Hey, Steve, I just wondered, did you have any other serious conversations involving Mantha with other teams? And then I guess along with that, with a deal of, of this sort of magnitude, how do you weigh the value you can get now as, as opposed to maybe it towards the draft or something like that? Um. I talked. I I talked to uh, a few teams that that, that that I thought there was a fit, or maybe there might be something there. Uh, not very many, um, but certainly you check around the league and you try to uh, try to get as you know as many. You know, you see what the market is, and you feel the things out a little bit and see who's interested. And but to have legitimate talks, it was a small group of teams and uh, very small group of teams and. Uh, um, um, you know, uh, your second part of your question, as far as weighing now versus later, that's a really good question. Uh, cause we do, we sit here and wonder, okay, if we're, you know, do we want to do this now? If we're going to do it, should we wait for the draft? Should we wait, uh, a year from now? Like, don't know the answers to those questions. I have an idea at the draft and ultimately when we make this trade, 
I think, you know, how much it may be different. Is it going to be that much better at the draft? Maybe, maybe not. So ultimately I, we just, I just felt like, you know, if it's something I'm comfortable with that I have that I know I can do today, I decide to do it because you, you know, something better may come down the road or not. So, um, you know, certainly you look at trade deadline and at the draft, I think are two of the uh, periods where, Maybe trades are most active, at least kind of that's my thought at this point. And ultimately, I like the, the, uh, the uh, obviously, I like the deal enough to do it now. And could we have done something better, different? I, I really don't know the answer, but I think it would be something similar. You know, the one thing is, uh, you know, the good teams are prepared. You know, the good teams, you know, they're willing to move their picks and prospects at the deadline, but they also have cap issues. So, you know, you got to make money work at times. So at the draft, you bring in more suitors, but I don't know. So anyways, um, like I said, we like this deal. We were comfortable doing it and, uh, you know, did certainly mull over John, the idea of, you know, do we wait and see what's there in the future? But the end of it, obviously decided to go ahead with this particular deal. Ted, John also asked about the flexibility with the cap down the road with Dylan Larkin and Richard Panic on deals after this year. And Steve Eisenman said it really wasn't by design with expiring contracts that ideally he would have liked to have had Tyler Bertuzzi, for example, signed for another year. But, you know, our interview guest, Brian Lawton, said he could see six or seven new players again next year if Eisenman makes a lot of deals or signs different free agents. What do you think this roster will look like going forward? Be a little younger next year. I can. Mm-hmm. There's no at this point. It's for sure. Michael obviously Michael Rasmussen is going to be on the roster. I would think Cider is going to be on the roster. Uh, maybe a Lucas Raymond or a Jonathan Bergren. Uh, we'll have to make a decision on Chalowski or Gustav Lindstrom. It keeps on getting Giovanni Smith mm-hmm. and getting younger. It's going to keep on getting younger uh, by that, but heck by next year, some of these guys are going to be quite as young. <laughs> I mean, they'll be here for a few years. I mean, you need to step forward. Uh, no, I, I, I agree with you, Mark. I think there is going to be some more, a lot more guys on one year deals, pretty similar to this season. Are they going to be a playoff contender? It's way too early to judge. I doubt it. But uh, you're going to see a lot of some of these prospects that we've been talking about for several years finally hopefully getting their prolonged opportunity here in the NHL. Time now for our interview segment. As I mentioned earlier, today's interview is with Brian Lawton. Joining us now is former NHL player, agent, GM, and now TV analyst with the Hockey Network, Brian Lawton. Brian, welcome to the podcast. We've talked before about your connection to Steve Eiserman. You were taken first overall in 1983, the year Eiserman went fourth overall. You were also the Tampa Bay GM before Eiserman took over in 2010. On the ice, Eiserman won three cups here in six years, four cups in 11 years, including that apprenticeship with Ken Holland and Jimmy Devolano. Eisenman built that Tampa Bay team that won the cup with Julian Breezeball and Pat Verbeek and Al Murray. One of the key trades was trading the underperforming Jonathan Drouin to Montreal for Mikhail Sergachev. Now, Brian, we're one week shy of Eisenman's second anniversary here in Detroit as GM. And in his 17th trade, and arguably his biggest trade, 
He trades underperforming Anthony Manta to Washington for Jacob Verana, Richard Ponick, a first-round pick, and a second-round pick. Given what you know about Iserman, and not the media comments, this morning Iserman called Mantha on 97.1 FM, the ticket of polite young man, and wished him all the best. And on the post-game show on Fox Sports last night, Captain Dylan Larkin talked about his friendship with Mantha after last night's 3-1 victory against Carolina. But behind the scenes, Brian, the Wings had just spent $22.8 million for a four-year extension for Mantha. This bold move then doesn't surprise you, does it? No, nothing Stevie does surprises me. He's very well thought out, and he did build Tampa, and he is doing an awesome job already in Detroit. It's just all circumstances are not always created equal. Taking mm-hmm. over Tampa versus taking over Detroit are two teams that were in somewhat different positions. Uh, in any event, in regard to his move with Anthony Matha, I, I think it's a really – I think the move is actually going to work out really well for the Mm -hmm. Washington Capitals. I've spoken to Brian McClellan. He's very high on what the possibilities are there, and I can see why they're excited. This was really the only hockey trade that was made yesterday, and I talked to a number of GMs that I knew were trying to pull it off. Of course, only Washington and Detroit in the end made that happen. But I do think it has the possibility to be a really nice win for both organizations. In Detroit's case, mm-hmm. you can see where Steve is going in terms of accumulating picks. This definitely met that. You could also see where Steve, as a general manager, may have been a little bit frustrated with Anthony Mantha. There's much talent there. There's so much ability, size, things that a lot of general managers covet. And at the end of the day, what was lacking for me when I would watch Anthony at times was mm-hmm. be was a little bit of uninspired play. And when you're trying to turn an organization around and you've got certain players on your team that are going to be role models, are going to be guys that looked at are looked at to lead, it's tough to do that when you have a player that you're not sure knows how to win yet, number one, and is inspired to play on a nightly basis. That can really slow progress down. So I could see why Steve would be thinking he brings in really a a comparable player, albeit a little bit younger, Uh, more flexibility on his contract, a lot of things to like there. And then he picks up a couple of draft picks, albeit late picks in terms of a first and a second, but they still fit the plan that I believe Steve is on. He doesn't say what his plans are, nor should he. Um, You know, I think Detroit's had some tough luck in terms of the lottery not like when Steve took over Tampa you know I had been there a couple years before him like you mentioned already Mm -hmm. and our team was you know somewhat where Detroit was but we had more certainty in the lottery so we knew for instance my first year we drafted Stamkos and then the second year Victor Hedman and uh, it was always a certainty for us that second year that we would pick, you know, really either first, second, or third. And Detroit, as we've seen in the past, has not had that kind of luck. They've ended up moving down. That's just math. It's not even really luck. The math has been against them. I think Stevie has correctly mm-hmm. assessed that it's not, that's not the way to go anymore. That's the way that maybe Tampa got their foundation 
which led to one of their Stanley Cups. But like, unlike Chicago, unlike Pittsburgh, and even L- L.A. to some degree, we had different draft lottery rules then. So you can't count on maybe being a team that unfortunately finishes in the bottom five and necessarily always selecting there, certainly not the top three. We changed that in 2015-16, and that has caused people to have to look to the past history to reevaluate how's best to manage your team. I think Stevie's come up with the right answer, and it's going to be quantity of picks, not just the quality. I was doing it based off of quality. That was a different plan for Tampa. Now for Detroit, you're seeing the accumulation of high numbers of picks. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to serve Detroit really well. You've got a really incredible leader like Steve that recognizes talent that's certainly by his own career. And you don't have to have had the career that Steve had to understand what it takes to win, but is an expert in that area. So when I look at all the factors that are going on, I believe that, you know, really good times are in the future for Detroit. It's not enough to just say this guy was a great player or, Mm -hmm. you know, the future is bright. Everybody says that about every organization out there that's going through a rough spell like Detroit is. It's not true. It's true in Detroit because we're trying to pull back the layers a little bit little bit and look why it's going to be true and it's going to be true because steve is is a brilliant guy quite frankly and he's a good guy so it makes it even easier to root for him um but the expertise is there and it's Mm -hmm. not just a hall of fame career it's taking the time to learn this business it's the work ethic that's made him an incredible that made him an incredible player and it's a combination of all those factors so when i look at that trade Yes, I think it will be good for the Washington Capitals, certainly in the, in the shorter term. Mm-hmm. They're looking at winning, trying to win another Stanley Cup. And I think it'll be awesome for the Detroit Red Wings and their master plan as well. So the rare, but what we love to see, the win-win scenario, we'll see how that plays out. But that would be my call on the day of the trade. Brian, do you think Steve Eiserman and Jeff Blaschel were on the same page Eiserman didn't draft Anthony Mantha in 2013. In fact, Eiserman took Drew in instead of Seth uh, Jones. They took Adam Ernie in the second round, by the way. I talked to an NHL scout who drafted before the Wings, took Mantha with the 20th pick, and he said they wanted no part of Mantha's laissez-faire attitude, and that was eight years ago. Earlier this year, Brian, after 23 games, Mantha had only nine points, a team worse minus 13. And his only two penalties were two penalties against Tampa Bay on February the 3rd, a hooking call against Tyler Johnson, and an interference call against Andre Pilat. Four days later, he was a healthy scratch against Florida. The Wings entered an eight-game winless streak. And on the game day skate on February 9th, I talked to Ted Colfin about this, and he said that Blaschel wasn't sure if he was even going to break up the winning lineup. And when asked if he consulted with Iserman about benching Mantha, he said, I'll just say that I talk to Steve on a regular basis pretty much every day about a lot of things, including our lineup and players. Do you think this trade helps or hurts Blaschel standing with the team? Uh, I don't think Steve's looking at it either way. I think that what Jeff said is true, that Mm -hmm. he was in constant communication with Steve. Um, You know, in terms of Anthony Mantha, I'm not going to bury this guy. He, you know, he he is one of those players Mm -hmm. that's, 
so talented that sometimes they leave you wanting and expecting more. To be fair to the Washington Capitals, they think they have a little bit more veteran group, much like the Detroit Red Wings when, had when Steve Eiserman was a player, so that you could bring guys into your group, and no matter what positives or negatives they may have brought, you had guys like Stevie, Chelly, Shanny, that could help people achieve mm-hmm. their best beyond just the coach. Jeff Flashill is, uh, in my opinion, is a good coach. I don't know what will happen there. It's Steve has been incredibly patient thus far. A lot of times what you see is uh, when a team's not doing well, the, the coach falls on his sword. Steve hasn't done anything like that. I think he's been really patient and really fair. Like he's going to most likely sit down with Jeff as soon as the season's over and they'll have a frank discussion about where they go. I have no idea what Stevie is thinking or which way he's leaning. I could see him letting Jeff go right after the season. I could see, I could see him continuing to be patient on the basis that, you know, Detroit is, is going through a transition period. You can bring Scotty Bowman back if you want. Uh, that's not what you're evaluating Jeff against. You're evaluating him against his ability to keep things positive, to show improvement over the year, to be able to teach young players. And those are things that I'm certain Steve Eiserman and Jeff Blashill will discuss in private. And whether or not they agree, it doesn't really matter. These decisions are unanimous in the end, one to nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that'll come down to what Steve thinks. And uh, everybody will find out. But um, I think Jeff's a good coach. I think he's done a lot of good things. But I couldn't say I would be shocked if Steve said, okay, in the next stage of our development, as we try to get back to our glory days, um, you know, we're going to bring somebody else for the next phase. That would not shock me. It would not be unfounded. It would not be a reflection of Jeff Blashell being a bad coach. I would just call that business. But again, I have no idea what Steve is thinking. I'm looking forward to that decision. And if he keeps them, I think that'll be great. If he lets them go, then, you know, that's certainly his prerogative. Um, But I cannot say I would be shocked if that happened. Brian, you said you talked to uh, GM Brian McClellan, who said there was a tug of war between the coaching staff and the previous staffs was Jacob Verona. Verona was a member of that 2018 Stanley Cup championship team under Barry Trotz, and he scored a career-high 25 goals last year under Todd Reardon. Verona was scoreless, though, in the last two postseasons, and despite being second on the team in five-on-five goals this year with nine, he was a healthy scratch twice and wasn't getting much ice time under Peter Laviolette. Will more ice time, as you sort of alluded to earlier, and responsibility, could that make a difference here in Detroit for Verona? I think it will. Mm-hmm. I really do. I think he's the uber-talented guy, much like Mantha, um, better in some areas. Uh, his goal-scoring ability is, you know, the guy scored 25 goals, as you said, in 69 games last year. Pretty good. Practically a 30-goal pace, 24 the year before that, if my memory serves me correctly. Having a bit of a down year this year, but still on pace to crest 20. So it's not uncommon when a new 
coaching staff comes in for some players to do much better and some players to fall out of favor. It clearly looked like he was a guy that had somewhat fallen out of favor. Um, I also will tell you that there is a certain element of a veteran roster that didn't have a ton of flexibility. Sure. Brian McClellan's looking at his roster and saying, you know, we're having a good season. We're right at the top of our division, but I don't, and this is the toughest thing to do, but I don't think, you know, we're there yet. We're not 100% where we want to be. He looks at his forwards. He says, I got Ovechkin. He's not going anywhere. I got Backstrom, just re-signed him. No move clause. He's not going anywhere. I got Kuznetsov, who's had a underperforming season by his standards. I don't want to trade him. I love TJ Oshie. He's my next highest paid guy. And uh, I got Tom Wilson, who I'm very pleased with. I'm not going to move him. Not a lot of options. That was it. And I give Steve Eisenman a lot of credit for recognizing that. And right, right. A, this is the research you do, Mark, before you even get into conversations with teams. And I think Steve uh, kind of sniffed this one out. I think it's a good result for them. And, um, you know, we'll see how it plays out. I like the flexibility. I'm bullish on Verona, just like I am on Mantha. I think both these mm -hmm. guys are quality, talented hockey players. Uh, one guy's won a Stanley Cup. That's helpful to Detroit. It's always nice to have a guy in your locker room that's done that. And uh, we'll see if some of that can rub off on the other guys. We'll see if he can, if Irana specifically can accept more responsibility um, and can continue to round his game out. If that happens, then this will be a terrific trade for the Detroit Red Wings. Finally, Brian, the Wings are about to miss the playoffs for the fifth straight season, the second worst stretch in the team's 95-year history. They missed the playoffs seven straight years from 1970 to 1977 during the darkness with Harkness era and the Dead Wings era. They're not used to losing hockey here, of course. 25 straight playoff appearances, four cups in 11 years, as we mentioned earlier. You've seen some of the building blocks, and you mentioned it earlier. You were one of the few analysts, Brian, who had Mo Sider in your top 10 picks. And Lucas Raymond is like a Mitch Marner-type player. And this year, there's a lot of top-rated defensemen, defensemen who you're talking to for the Hockey Network, defensemen like Michigan's Owen Power and Luke Hughes, who was a guest on our last podcast. Carolina took 10 years before making the playoffs. Detroit's at five. They're still a few years away. Brian, what do you think fans in Hockey Town have to look forward to now? I think that the team is on the right path to success. I mm -hmm. don't believe there'll be a playoff team next year. You, you could say, how could you say that now? Um, I think it might be just a bridge too far right now. Um, but I do see them showing a pretty good uptick. So Steve took over Tampa, really what was the third year of a rebuild. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people were shocked. They went to, they finished eighth that year. I, got, I was there the two previous years. We added Stamkos, we added Hedman. Steve came in, he added a goaltender in the middle of the year. It wasn't Vasilevsky, of course, then. I believe it was Dwayne Rolison. And uh, that team was... Fantastic. I don't see Detroit quite on that path from when Steve came in. That's why I said all situations are different. There is no Hedman or Stamkos 
right now for Detroit, but I see those things. I see those pieces coming. I see a more exciter. Um, but boy, it's really exciting if this team could ever add a guy like Owen Powers, who obviously was applying his trade for the University of Michigan. Right. <laughs> that is really, really exciting. That won't necessarily change the dynamic next year, but it absolutely would the year after. There is always a, a world that I could imagine where Detroit goes crazy uh, this offseason and literally adds seven or eight players through trades, free agency, et cetera. But I, I, I just – it's tough to manage your club on a specific plan and then try to insert that, those types of moves – when you don't have the foundational pieces quite in place yet. You know, I mean, there's been some really good things that Adam Ernie's played really well this year. That's a bright surprise. Robbie Fabry, certainly an NHL player. That's a surprise. Ronick's done good. Dylan Larkin's Dylan Larkin. Um, a good player, a really good player, as a matter of fact, but not on a Kucherov or Stamkos level. Mm -hmm. That's, that's another level. So, um, I think you'll see more at Cider. I think that'll bring a lot of hope. I think they'll add another high draft pick. Not sure if Lucas Raymond will play next year yet. Um, but I love where this team is going. It's just going to be, take patience. I did the studies when I was managing Tampa in terms of how many years teams were out of the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Five is not the very end of it, but I want to say maybe Pittsburgh was out five. It was really interesting. The teams that I was looking at that I mentioned, Chicago, Washington was in that study. Pittsburgh was in that study. Mm -hmm. LA was in that study. We're all out literally like three, four, five, or six years. And then they were back in the playoffs. None of them longer than that. If you go back mm -hmm. and look at their history, if you really do your okay. research, yeah. then you'll find that. And I believe that the Red Wings may be on the outer edges of that, but Steve has not been the general manager for that time. I think there were still efforts going on, and you'd have to ask Ken Hall on this, but they tried to extend their stay probably beyond what they should have. Mm -hmm. uh, the market was used to winning, tried to cobble it together. That's why you see some of the long-term signings that are still on the books that a guy like Steve Eiserman, quite frankly, has to – try to solve and you know I'm, I'm talking obviously about Nielsen still another year left on his deal you know you're trying to unwind those deals the Kaiser's got another year left things that were done prior Steve didn't have any of that when he came into Tampa as a matter of fact I know exactly what I left him with because <laughs> I spent two years cleaning that roster up so that you could move on to the next phase that worked out beautifully when Steve came to Tampa and there was nobody in my opinion or very few guys that could have taken advantage of it as much as he did in the years afterwards. And that's why I'm so bullish on Steve as a manager because yeah. he knows what he's doing, but he needs another year. Okay. Uh, I got through that. I wasn't as handicapped coming in as Steve was. So I don't look at Steve as in that his first year, which was really the third year of a rebuild. I look at this more, as next year being that year for Steve. 
And I, and I don't mean next year as in next season. I mean the year after that. He needs one more year to get there. These Good. things are, yeah. they just move like the Titanic. They're very, very slow. And turning them is hard. But uh, he's been absolutely relentless in his pursuit of cleaning up this roster. And that's what's so impressive. And that's quite frankly why this was such a great hire. There's not a lot of general managers that have the currency that Steve Eiserman has. Mm-hmm. He built that up through his career and he built that up through his management in Tampa. So his runway to doing the right things is longer than the average manager, certainly a new younger manager in the NHL. And I think that's brilliance by the ownership in Detroit to hire Steve because it's exactly what needs to happen. And at times it can feel like it's dragging on. I can tell you from experience, it definitely does for the manager. And it definitely has to be wearing on Steve. But at the same point, you have to believe in yourself and what you're doing. I think Steve scores through the charts on his ability to do that. And that's why uh, this team is going to get back to the glory days. Not as quick as maybe people would like, but in a way that's going to be meaningful and sustainable. And that's going to be the home run for Steve and for the Detroit Red Wings. Brian, thanks for your time today talking about the Red Wings, a team, by the way, that was among the first professional sports teams to purchase software from your wife, Angelina, who was just recognized by Forbes as one of the most powerful women in the sports industry. Her company is called Sports Digita, a cloud-based software that is used by marketing and sales teams to sell their products and services. That's been incredible growth, hasn't it, since that first meeting back with the Red Wings? That goes back a long ways, doesn't it? That goes back a long way. We're so grateful to Detroit Red Wings and for being kind enough to a woman-owned tech business to give her a shot mm-hmm. way back when before it was in vogue. And I still remember uh, the project they did. Uh, to give a little update, I was looking at our books yesterday and I see that we are up, I believe, 97% year over year in that business. We're pretty excited about it. Uh, my wife does an incredible job as the CEO leading that business for us. And uh, we couldn't be more thankful for Detroit for literally giving us an opportunity. And uh, when I say us, I don't mean me. That was my <laughs> wife back then doing that. And, uh, and we're just very, very thankful. It's been a great story. Thanks again for your time, Brian. Best of luck continuing on with the Hockey Network. Again, thanks for your time today on the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you, Mark. Our thanks again to Brian Lawton. The Red Wings, Ted, made three other trades before deadline day. They traded defenseman John Merrill to Montreal for a 2021 fifth-round pick and prospect forward Hayden Verbeek. Verbeek was assigned to Grand Rapids. I saw Verbeek play as a 15 and 16 year old with the Sun County Panthers and Chatham Maroons. He played five years in the Sioux, went undrafted, signed as a free agent. He's a nephew of Pat Verbeek, the Red Wings assistant GM. What did you make of the John Marrow trade? Also, Patrick Nemeth for a fourth round pick. And then that deal with Tampa Bay and Julian Brisebois taking the contract of David Savard. What did you make of those, Merrill, Nemeth, and the Savard deal, Ted? Well, the, the getting a fourth-round pick for Tampa, all they did was broker it and come and help, help them take on salary. And you, you saw mm-hmm. that, actually, in, during this trade deadline. A lot of teams with salary space 
used it to their fruition and earned themselves a fourth, you know, a mid-round draft pick. So good for them. As far as the players, I, I think both those guys are going to help those respective teams. I mean, Nemeth goes back to Colorado. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he's exactly what they need. They've had some bad injuries on their back end. Nemeth knows the system there. He's a good shut. You know, he's a good shutdown defenseman. He, good on the penalty kill. Uh, I don't think he's going to hurt them by any stretch of the imagination. Merrill too. I, I thought I was impressed with the way Merrill played here. I thought he was a positive and. Going to a situation like Montreal, I think he could thrive there too. Uh, he's got playoff experience with Vegas. He doesn't do anything particularly great, but he does everything fairly well. So good for him. I think he's going to get playing time there. He's going to think he'll do well. I wouldn't be surprised if both those guys get extended with their new teams. Uh, I think both both those guys, I could mm-hmm. see why many, several teams evidently wanted both those guys. They're playoff tested. They they don't they they don't fail in the moment. I think both those guys are going to do well in their respective places, and I wouldn't be surprised if we'll see them on those teams here for the next couple of years. And finally, Ted, Detroit will have fifty five picks in a five year span. They had that is staggering, isn't it, Mark? Jeez. It is fifty five. They had fifty eight, Ted, in a five year span from eighty nine to ninety three. That. 89 draft, of course, is widely regarded as the greatest in team history with Lidstrom, Fedorov, Konstantinov. The first-round pick, Mike Sillinger, will be a guest on a future podcast. His son, Cole Sillinger, is a top 10, top 20 pick for the 2021 draft. But, Ted, what do you think fans have to look forward to? We've discussed this before, and I mentioned it with Brian Lawton. The Wings will be out of the playoffs. They are out of the playoffs for five straight years. The longest stretch in team history in 95 years was seven from 1970 to 77. Brian Lawton thought it'll be at least another year at six out of the playoffs, maybe another one as well. Where do you think the fan base is now, Ted? They don't have Anthony Mantha, who seemed to be one of the building blocks with that $22.8 million contract. How do you think the fans feel with the Wings, the Lions, the Pistons? The Tigers, everyone's rebuilding here. And while the pieces seem to be like the foundational pieces are in place, I'm just wondering about how fans view the the next, well, the rest of the season and moving forward. I don't know about you, my friend, but I haven't sensed any – I can only speak to the Red Wings. I don't see any mm-hmm. risings or anything. <laughs> they love their prospects. They, they love what the job Steve Eiserman's doing. And – I think they're willing to stay patient for at least quite a while here going forward. Uh, all the reactions I got, people love the Mantha trade. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so I don't see any – I think people understand it was going to take a lot of time. Still looks like it's going to take a little bit more long, a little bit more time. But the, the prospects seem to be there. I mean, there's definitely potential with some of these kids. Uh and they like what Eiserman's doing. I mean, he's like a, like we said at the start. I got a lot of kudos for that tr- trade yesterday. They, every analyst I talked to or read seemed to indicate that mm-hmm. you know they they got quite the haul for Anthony Mantha. So no, I don't see, see any sense of frustration or disappointment at all yet. Speaking only to the Red Wings, I don't know about the Tigers, Pistons, or any of those, but. As long as they see some sort of progress, which I guess they do with the Red Wings, seems like fans are more than satisfied at this point. 
Sounds good. Thanks, Ted. That'll do it for today's podcast, episode 50. For more Red Wings coverage, you can check out Ted's stories at DetroitNews.com. And you'll always find us on our Octopulse Facebook page, Twitter, Instagram, Instagram stories, and Snapchat. Thanks again for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you soon. (laughs) 